Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, where each time we meet, we run down the IT news of the week with a varying degree of snarkiness. I'm your host, Stephen Foskett, and filling in for Tom Hollingsworth today is my co-host and good friend, Max Mortellaro. Welcome to the show, Max. Hey, Stephen. As you know, it's National Barber Shop Quartet Appreciation Day, so we're going to do the entire show in barbershop quartet style. Ready? No, I'm kidding. We're not doing that. All right. Uh, let's jump into the news of the week and uh, see what Max thinks of some of these stories. Right. So as anyone who's paid attention to mobility field knows, Salona is the king of private 5G. Uh, Node have announced that Google Cloud will integrate Salona 5G LAN into their private cellular network solution running on Google Distributed Cloud, Edge. GDC Edge, actually. So what kind of company is looking to implement this technology? Well, if you're scratching your head and saying, I don't know what GDC Edge or Salona or Private 5G is, you're not alone. These are probably not the solutions for you. But if you run a big campus and have lots of industrial IoT across many, many different sites and you're trying to move into the cloud or environment, you know very well what GDC Edge is, and you've probably considered private 5G. Essentially, the thing to think about when it comes to private 5G generally, and Solona specifically, is this is a solution for wireless connectivity of devices where Wi-Fi just doesn't do it. Think about uh, maybe you've got a huge factory or a, a distributed outdoor campus or something like that, and you really need connectivity, but it doesn't really make sense to run all the wires that wireless needs. And uh, 5G technology solves a lot of those problems. Maybe you want to keep things uh, private as well, and you want your own infrastructure that's not going to be competing for spectrum with Wi-Fi in a city or something like that. That's really what Salona and private 5G is all about. And uh, GDC Edge is Google's way of extending the cloud into industrial IoT and uh, manufacturing settings. And if you think about those two things, suddenly maybe this announcement makes sense. Essentially, uh, we've got two powerhouse technologies here for uh, factories, hospitals, schools, um, you know, all sorts of things like that coming together in a way that makes a lot of sense. So uh, as for me, I have been watching uh, Mobility Field Day and I've been watching Salona and I've just been wowed by this team and I'm very, very excited to hear about this announcement because this is a whole new world, the world of edge computing. And these are some really cool technologies that fit in that space. I'll just give a little pitch here too. Uh, we're gonna have Salona presenting at uh, Mobility Field Day. So if you're interested in this, check that out. Max, uh, as you might've heard of some of these companies, uh, StoreCentric uh, combined Nexan, Violin, Vexata, Drobo, uh, Retrospect, and more into a budget supergroup over the last few years. But it sounds like things aren't going according to plan. Uh, Drobo filed Chapter 11 recently, and now StoreCentric itself is announcing that it has zero cash on hand and a looming $25 million note coming due. Is this the end of the line for this great technology, or is it just a bump in the road? Well, I'm going to share my own opinion on that. And first of all, I, I wish the folks working at SourceCentric well, but I'm really afraid that it's not a bump in the road, but more kind of the end of the story, perhaps. Because if you look at it, if you look at the 
all of these uh, companies in the store-centric portfolio, most of them are kind of niche players. They are not like uh, very big solutions or things which have an exceptional differentiator. Uh, either they're niche and very focused on solving a precise use case, or they are competing against, uh, I would say, solutions which are at the very least providing identical or similar features, right? So the thing is more here, whether there is any intellectual property which is interesting to a potential uh, company, we may want to acquire it, but I'm really afraid that uh, there is nothing in the portfolio there which is uh, kind of gives them the possibility to kind of, you know, kick in the ground and jump out somehow. So I'm really afraid about that. There's among the companies you mentioned, there's Violin, which is has its own history, a bumpy history. So yeah, that's uh, pretty much my take on that. So uh, moving on to uh, a different uh, topic, but still related to the storage industry. Uh, Scrappy HCI player Scale Computing has scooped up another $55 million in funding, bringing their total to $203 million. Uh, we're a big fan of this frequent field day presenter, and they bring affordable and practical solutions to, the, to a market which is dominated by big players like VMware and Nutanix. What should we make of this after half a dozen uh, previous small funding rounds? Yeah, it's an interesting story because uh, if you're not familiar with scale computing, imagine if uh, VMware or Nutanix or something was just a lot more accessible to smaller businesses. That's pretty much what they're doing. And it's been a pretty exciting product, frankly. Uh, the idea that you can have uh, big enterprise features on a small budget or at a remote site or, yeah, going back to my previous story in an industrial or a transportation setting. That's actually really exciting. Uh, now, the company has raised quite a lot of money since 2007 when they were founded, uh, but they seem to be doing well. So my takeaway from this is that, quite frankly, scale computing is just using this to finance their next expansion, and um, I'm, I'm wishing them all the best. I'm not going to read too much into the fact that they've raised uh, round after round of funding um, because, frankly, the total number isn't all that much. Max, the news just came in that uh, former Broadcom CFO Tom Krause is leaving the company just as his biggest deal, the acquisition of VMware, was looming. He's seen as the architect of the deal, as head of the company's software division. Uh, is the infusion of VMware talent leaving less space for existing Broadcom executives? That's uh, an interesting take, actually. Um, hard to say. Hard to say because uh, here, I think Broadcom is the company which is acquiring VMware. So I would be much less worried about Broadcom execs than I would be about VMware execs, which may be uh, kind of infusing the Broadcom organization. That said, the announcement is not that old. Uh, there are still a lot of things that need to be uh, still kind of crystallized about uh, what is going, whether the deal is really going to happen, what is going to be the, uh, the, the management structure, whether uh, VMware execs will or will not go to, uh, to the Broadcom organization. So I, I wouldn't say uh, that uh, Broadcom execs have to be worried. It all comes down to uh, what the successor of Tom Crowe's is going to be uh, kind of uh, building the way you want to structure things. I would say that in the analyst community, the mood has been uh, very, I would say, not very optimistic about the outcomes for VMware. You know, people have been pretty much, uh, I would say, realistic. Some have been even pessimistic about what the outcome is going to be. So I guess that we need to, to wait and see. And, you know, moving to our uh, last uh, story for today, uh, we've spoken before about the $52 billion CHIPS Act 
which funded semiconductor manufacturing in the United States. But the money still not arrived, has still not arrived, and chip makers are starting to pump the brakes. Uh, Intel has been delaying the groundbreaking of their 20 billion Ohio fab, and TSMC saying they might slow the construction in Arizona. Could this expansion be in jeopardy? I think that this is uh, big uh, companies playing some hardball with the federal government. But frankly, there is a little uh, nervousness about whether this thing is ever going to get funding. So in the uh, tradition of American lawmakers, the CHIPS Act stands for the Creating Helpful Initiatives, I'm sorry, Creating Helpful Incentives to Produce Semiconductors for America Act. Isn't that cute? Anyway, it was passed by the House of Representatives and a similar bill was uh, passed by the Senate, but there's uh, the money didn't actually go through. And now, uh, basically, a lot of people on the left and the right are starting to ask, how come we're going to spend $52 billion to support some of the biggest companies in the world, including some that aren't actually U.S. companies, uh, in something that basically they're going to invest in anyway? Well, this is those companies uh, talking right back the way that they know how and saying, guess what? If you don't spend this, we might not invest. Speaking as somebody who's in Ohio, uh, the government here made a huge deal of the fact that Intel was going to build their biggest fab outside Columbus, Ohio. Uh, the $20 billion fab is part of a, a $80 plus billion complex that theoretically could come to Ohio. And if you are uh, an Ohio lawmaker and you hear Intel saying, you know what, we were going to break ground on that on July 22nd, but now I'm not so sure. Maybe we'll break down ground a little later. Maybe that's going to put a little fire under your feet to actually pass the funding for this thing. That being said, honestly, the, the semiconductor makers don't actually need this money in order to make this investment. They're going to make the investment anyway, um, maybe just a little slower, a little bit different. Um, it could be bad news for places like Ohio that we're going to get new investment in, in semiconductors because Intel could take the path of global foundries or TSMC and expand existing facilities instead of breaking ground on new ones if they don't get federal funding. But I think that this is all just some, some serious hardball. And I think that in the end of the day, federal funding or not, what's going to matter is uh, the overall market for semiconductors. And frankly, given the current state of the world, that overall market isn't looking so great. So I think that there's actually a chance that some of these things may not happen, but it may not be the CHIPS Act or lack thereof that's responsible. Now let's take a look at a story that I think a lot of us are really interested in here. Uh, and no, I'm not talking about anything involving Elon Musk and Twitter. What I'm talking about is the recent announcement, surprise, of Apple uh, adding a new lockdown mode to iOS 16, iPadOS 16, and macOS Ventura. This mode allows users to restrict the channels that are usually used by the most intrusive exploits and hacks. It's designed to protect journalists, dissidents, and others at risk of state-sponsored snooping. Um, Max, tell us a little bit more about lockdown mode. What are the implications here? All right, so this is so exciting that I'll try to do my best not to just get lost into uh, some crazy uh, things. So lockdown mode, what it does is that it uh, kind of restricts the kind of the surface attack of your iPhone and the various applications to avoid, um, let's say, uh, as you say, targeted uh, persons 
to be uh, attacked by very sophisticated uh, attacks, actually. So what it does is that, in a sense, it restricts a lot of things that your phone would normally do. For example, it restricts uh, the opening of attachments, for example, file attachments when you're in a chat session with someone, which is one of the vectors, you know, uh, infected files. It's also blocking you from receiving unsolicited FaceTime calls. And there are a variety of other uh, things which are restricted there. For example, it's blocking wired connection between your iPhone and computer accessories. Uh, it's also uh, preventing you from installing uh, beta, Apple beta configuration profiles and so on. So it really does a lot to restrict the, uh, the attack surface on the phone. And frankly, that's super exciting, not just for this targeted audience, but also, I mean, for whoever is interested in privacy. And I think that that's the interesting thing here is that this is a mode that's designed uh, for a specific subset of users that might be a tar target of state-sponsored terrorism or, uh, uh, that's not the right word, state-sponsored uh, snooping. Um, but truly, uh, this is a really interesting technology and the implications go way beyond an iPhone. Uh, for one thing, uh, most of the coverage is focused on iPhones, but uh, Mac OS Ventura also has lockdown mode in it, which is, I think, an interesting take. Uh, the next thing is that everyone in the industry expects that Google will do what Google does, which is to offer a similar feature in, I in Android next. And in fact, that may be one reason that Apple didn't uh, tease this before they uh, released it, because maybe they wanted to have a a little bit of a time to uh, to talk about this feature before Google does exactly the same thing. But frankly, uh, I'm going to give Google a pat on the back if they do, because every phone should have something like this. The fact that there are all these exploits uh, that, that work in, in many cases invisibly to uh, hack into phones, to snoop on phones. I mean, we've talked previously about the NSO group and Pegasus and things like that. Um, it, it means that phones need this kind of capability for people who are especially sensitive to this sort of attack. And uh, as you mentioned, I mean, that could include people uh, who are unwittingly, uh, you know, you get the, an, an attachment sent uh, as an iMessage or a FaceTime call or something that, that unwittingly um, hacks your phone. Also, uh, as you mentioned, the, the, the connectivity issue is, is really interesting too, because for a long time, it's been possible to hard lock an iPhone. Uh, by the way, you do that by just pushing a volume and the power button together, and it will uh, require the passcode, and it also disables a lot of the external connectivity. This really shuts all that stuff down because for a long time, it was possible to plug in a device that could uh, basically drain all the data off of the phone uh, over a wire. Well, that won't work anymore. Now, presumably, the technology works, uh, let's hope. And this will stop the so-called evil made attacks and a lot of these other exploits. But uh, Max, I know you and I have always been interested in uh, privacy enhancing technologies. Um, I was actually looking at this and thinking, hmm, I wonder what it would be like to use that mode. Oh, I would absolutely love to enable that as soon as it gets out. And I think it, it comes down to a variety of things, right? I mean, uh, we, we've all been so much... Uh, these mobile phone technologies, and I'm not talking about macOS Ventura and so on, but if you look at the mobile devices, there's so much grabbing our attention. And one of the things I've been working on lately is really uh, trying to uh, reduce my kind of addiction in a way to applications. So trying to put in controls to avoid this, to avoid that, to avoid the uh, disturbances and so on. And the fact that you can add an extra layer of kind of privacy, an extra uh, layer of security to your phone and to the operation that you do is really 
extremely appealing, at least to me. So I would really like to, uh, to test that as soon as possible. And I'm really also interested because we've been talking about some of the mainstream features of that, but maybe there's much, there are much more things there. Like, for example, you know, people walking around with airdrop enabled and open to all, and they can, you know, all of these uh, things that we sometimes forget to, to turn on. So to me, it signals that uh, Apple and maybe even Google at some point in time, even though I think it's a bit crazy, uh, they are kind of focusing more on, you know, securing their devices. And I think it's long overdue. Absolutely. And I've previously turned on some of these features uh, as Apple has added them myself. Uh, for example, the private relay and the not downloading attachments and emails and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, I'm just glad to see uh, more and more of these things be enabled in a way that, like you said, is easy for someone who's maybe not as technical mm -hmm. to enable and use. And as I said as well, I really do hope that Google adds this to Android and Microsoft adds this to Windows. Mm -hmm. uh, frankly, I would love to see a lockdown mode in Linux. Uh, actually, wouldn't that be awesome? And, you know, and one thing I'm thinking about as well, you know, building into that. So the great thing is that this is really meant for a non-technical audience. And maybe we could even see, and maybe that's a crazy thought, but we could even see that there will be an, that this lockdown mode could become an advanced lockdown mode. And we could see that there will be a regular lockdown mode, which kind of restricts by default, or which gets kind of built in into the, uh, uh, into the platform where things are logged out by default and you can add an extreme extra layer of security. I'm really curious and excited about that, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see where this goes, but I thought that we would share it with the audience here as our closer look segment. Now let's turn to the industry uh, as a whole. Uh, there's not a lot of activities going on in the month of July and August since a lot of people are on vacation, but there is something happening this week. So July 13th through 15th, that's today, Wednesday through Friday, is Mobility Field Day. So Tom Hollingsworth and the uh, Gestalt IT crew are in California with a dozen delegates, everybody on site, and we're hearing from a bunch of mobility and Wi-Fi companies. So go to techfieldday.com to learn more about Mobility Field Day. So thanks for joining us today for the Gestalt IT Rundown. Remember that the Rundown is available as a podcast as well in your favorite podcast application, and it's on YouTube and the Gestalt IT website every Wednesday. You can subscribe by going to youtube.com slash Gestalt IT video or finding in your favorite podcast app. We also post these videos on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and so on. We'll be back next Wednesday to talk about the IT news of the week that was. But until then, for myself, uh, for Max, Holling, uh, <laughs> Max Mortellaro standing in for Tom Hollingsworth, and for all of us in the Gestalt IT family, here's wishing you and yours a fresh cut day.